Well, Arla and I are so thankful to be here with you this morning. Uh, we loved um, how the Lord brought us to this church um, when we were actually dating and then got engaged and then got married. And so we went through some pretty significant stages of life and got to do that alongside you guys in this church. And so you have a special place uh, in our hearts. Um, I'm also very honored to be asked by Pastor Ryan to come and speak to you guys today. I don't know why. He, I mean, there's at least three preachers here that could do a better job than I am, um, probably more than that. Um, but I'm honored for the opportunity, and uh, I hope that it will be uh, encouraging to each of you. Um, it's been about nine months since we moved to Savannah and packed our bags, loaded up the U-Haul. Um, some of you guys helped us do that. And so thank you for that, too, if we forgot to say thank you. Um, and uh, it's been nine months, uh, nine hard months, nine really sweet months, uh, being able to get to know a whole new body of uh, God's people uh, in Savannah, and there's worse places to do that. Savannah's a beautiful place, and we love living there. Uh, we still consider ourselves tourists there in the city that we've lived in for almost a year now, but uh, it's uh, also another key thing is it's been almost about a year since I preached uh, here last time. It was July last year. Um, And I was preaching from a very different stage in life, not knowing where God was leading, what God was up to, uh, but knowing that he was worth trusting in. And so um, not even a year later, I stand before you in a very different place, having seen God's faithfulness and knowing that he's going to continue to be faithful uh, in the future. So I'm very thankful for the opportunity. Uh, and it's just really sweet. I work with the kids now, and, and my goal is to see kids do what Eva did right here. Um, committing God's word to memory, um, letting that saturate the way that they think, letting that saturate the way that they view the world. Um, and it's such a sweet, sweet thing, um, and we can learn from them in that way. I have kids coming up to me every Wednesday night, John, John, I know our scripture memory verse, and it's just, um, that's the highlight of uh, what I do. And so uh, my hope today is that um, this sermon would be encouraging to you. Um, I have a couple questions to start um, getting your, th- your thoughts going. Um, the first one is, how would you describe your relationship with God? Or, or rather, how would you describe God? What picture would you use? What terms would you use? What imagery would you use? And secondly, how would you describe yourself in relation to this God? And I want you to hang on to those questions. I want you to think about that for a few moments as we begin our study in what's quite possibly the the most popular chapter in the entire book of Psalms, and what's quite possibly also the most cherished and most memorized verse in the entire Bible, second maybe only to John 3.16. And so I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that made me a little bit nervous, because the standard's pretty high. Everybody up here or in here likely has heard this psalm read many times, has it on a coffee cup, has it memorized possibly, And so the standards are high, but my hope in this sermon is not necessarily to say something new, but to simply re-say and and remind us of the caretaking character of our God this morning. In many of the Psalms, uh, we are in a series on the Psalms, uh, were written by a guy named David. In fact, about half of the 150 Psalms in the book are attributed to him. In the book of 2 Samuel, we read that David wasn't just the king of Israel, but that he was known around the kingdom as the sweet psalmist of Israel. We know that he had a gift for composing the psalms. We have a lot of them. They're in the middle of our Bibles. But we also know from 1 Samuel 16 that he could play an instrument. He could play the harp. So not only only was David a gifted lyricist and a poet, 
He was also a skilled musician and composer. He could write, he could play, and he even sang some of the songs that he wrote, more than likely. I like to think that he, Pastor Josiah and Pastor Micah, would have had such a really cool jam session. They would have had a lot of fun. Ryan and I would just be stuck there listening. Uh, Sorry to put you on the spot like that, but... um, We have not been given the gift of singing, but David was a talented man, as is Micah and Josiah. And so it's safe to say that David was quite a talented and gifted man. He was a capable ruler. He was also a gifted musician. He had the gift for composing psalms that would be sung by God's people throughout the ages and that are continuing to be sung even by the church today, which really is the hope of every artist, right? To have other people singing and reciting the the songs that they write, right? But more than that, we also know that David had another occupation, and this occupation is the one that he had prior to becoming a king. And it's likely this former occupation of David's that was the source by which he came up with a metaphor that is quite possibly one of the most intimate and meaningful uh, terms and pictures to describe God in all of Scripture, We would do well to take a fresh look at this image, this metaphor that he gives us, and to let the richness of it impact our souls. Elsewhere in the Psalms, God is referred to as a king who rules and reigns over his people, as a deliverer who rescues his captive people, as a fortress in whom his people find safety and security, and as a shield that protects his people from foreign attack, also as a rock of stability in a shifting world. And as helpful as these terms are for understanding who God is, they, they're rather impersonal. They're not, they, they lack a certain intimacy or a personal touch, if you will. You see, most people, they didn't have access to the king. That would have been a, a very rare thing. In fact, like even in the book of Esther, we read that, you know, anybody who approaches the king without being invited could be killed. And so not only did people not have access to the king, but they were not likely to share a dinner table with him, be invited over for a meal. The same idea here is with a rock, a shield, a fortress. These are all beautiful depictions of God's character, but they lack a personal touch. And so here, Paul or David, I'm sorry, uses and he opts for a very personal term. He's elsewhere said rock, fortress, and that God is all these things for him. But here in the 23rd Psalm, he picks something, a term that's so intimate and so personal. And we're going to look at that at this moment. Now, I asked you a few moments ago how you would describe God. What I want us to do now is go ahead and start diving into Psalm 23 and see what, how David would answer that question. This Psalm 23 has is, is elsewhere been called the, the Psalm of the Shepherd, and we'll see why pretty soon, uh, pretty quickly in. So if you have your Bibles, if you haven't already opened them, I encourage you to have them in front of you. I'm not sure it's going to be on the screen or not, so it's even more reason to make sure you have a Bible in front of you. Um, my goal is always to walk you through the passage. I don't have anything clever to say. I don't have anything worth writing down to say myself. The only thing that's worth writing down is what's in God's Word, and so I want to make sure you have that in front of you this morning. Look at me with, uh, look with me at verse one. David pens this opening line. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. To put it simply, a a shepherd is a caretaker of sheep. Now, I, I could be wrong, but I think it's safe to assume that if I was to collect all the resumes in this room, this isn't a title that would be on any of them. 
And so while we kind of have some idea of what it means to be a shepherd, we also are quite unfamiliar with the occupation. And because of that reason, or for that reason, uh, as we approach this psalm, we kind of miss some of the richness of it. We miss some of the, the depth behind it because of our unfamiliarity with it. And so we're going to talk in a moment about some things that a shepherd does. But before we get there, I want us to note just a couple things too. Uh, this image of the Lord as a shepherd is, is a fairly common image in the Bible. Um, but even though it's fairly common, it's probably not the first thing that came to your mind. And if you didn't know we were talking about Psalm 23, it probably wouldn't have this morning. Um, but it's pretty common. In fact, the Bible, uh, it shows up numerous times. The Bible talks about God being a shepherd towards his people, and it even talks about his people being the sheep of his flock. It likens God's relationship with his people to a shepherd with his sheep. Now, um, that's probably not the first thing, the first answer that came to our, our mind when I asked you, how would you describe your, yourself in relation to this God? I'm a sheep. That's, it, doesn't, it doesn't carry like, a, I'm a daughter of God, I'm a, I'm a son of God, I'm, you know, I'm adopted by him, I'm brought into the family, I'm, I'm the, the redeemed, you know, all these other terminology, all this other language that we can use. Probably not, I'm a sheep. It's weird. You know, and, and being a sheep kind of has a bad rap, right? Because, let's be honest, they're kind of stupid. And so when we kind of read this psalm or something, we're like, man, really a sheep? Really, David? You were a shepherd. You know what sheep are like, and now you're likening yourself to a sheep, and you're calling us a sheep. Man, that's mean. But one of my favorite um, pastors, he had something great to say, and, and it illustrates how however stupid the sheep may be, they do have one thing over us, and that's that they unquestionably and unwaveringly trust their shepherd. And so we have a very important lesson that we can learn from a stupid animal this morning. And so I want to encourage us not to miss it. But my favorite uh, preacher, he's been dead for a while now. Uh, His name's Charles Spurgeon. I commend all of his works to you guys. Um, And there are a lot of them. So, um, but he had this to say. He said, when I have heard people talk of silly sheep, I have often wondered whether if the sheep could speak, they might, might not talk more of silly men. I love that um, because we think that sheeps are these inferior creatures and yet we can learn a valuable lesson from them. They never doubt, they never question, but they always trust their shepherd. The image of us as sheep and the Lord as our shepherd reflects his character as a caretaking God. He provides for the needs of his people just like a shepherd would provide for the needs of a sheep. And as often as this term is used in scripture, what makes its appearance here in Psalm 23 unique is the personal dimension that David brings to it. Elsewhere in Scripture, uh, God is spoken of as a shepherd to his people, multiple sheep, a flock, a whole flock. But in this passage, David personalizes it. He's not just a shepherd of many sheep. He is my shepherd, my personal shepherd. So I want you to kind of picture it this way. I'll give you a little bit of an illustration. Picture yourself going grocery shopping. You go into the neighborhood grocery store, whatever that may be. You've got your cart. You've got the kids if you've got those. You're rounding the corner on an aisle. You're picking stuff up, and you run into a friend of yours, not from church. You're talking. You're catching up. You're seeing what's going on in their lives. They're doing the same thing for you. And then all of a sudden, Pastor Ryan turns the corner 
of the aisle with his cart, with his kids. I don't know if you do the grocery shopping or not, so maybe this is a bad illustration. But he comes around the corner, and at this point, he's right there. It's awkward if you don't wave or say hi or any of these things. So you have a choice. How am I going to introduce this guy to my friend? They don't know each other. And it's at this moment that I think we get an illustration that's helpful. You have a choice. You can say, this is, this is Ryan Walker. He is the lead pastor at Cross Point Church downtown, meets at the downtown YMCA. It's where I go. It's my church. Or you have the choice of saying, this is Ryan Walker, my pastor. He cares for, he's a, he's a spiritual leader, he's a mentor, he's a guider, but he's not just these things for other people, he is my pastor. And that's the, kind of the sense that we get here in this passage is that David is saying not just that God is a shepherd, but that he's my shepherd, he personalizes it. It's a big deal for him. For David, it wasn't enough that God was a rock or a shield, a fortress, a king, or even a shepherd. He took it deeper, he made it personal. He said, the Lord is my rock, my shield, my fortress, my king, my shepherd. God isn't just reliable, steady, safe, and generous toward other people. He's all these things and much, much more to Christians, to his sheep. As one commentator put it, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, who shepherded Israel out of bondage in Egypt, this grand cosmic Lord also cares for and shepherds the individual. It's a personal dimension to it. So at this point, it's important to ask, is this Lord your shepherd? Are you his sheep? Can you say like Paul did in Philippians 4, verse 19, and my God, see the personal dimension here, and my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's not enough to believe that God merely exists. It's not enough to believe that God cares for people in general. At some point, you have to recognize and embrace and and live in light of the truth that for the Christian, he is all these things for you personally. He knows you by name. He knows the the number of hairs on your head. He is your shepherd. This is so important because if you miss this, you're going to miss the beauty and the richness and the depth that we're given in this beloved psalm. Because everything that follows from this first line is dependent upon it. All right? And so it's so important that we get this. If the Lord isn't your shepherd, then what's written here isn't written for you. It can be kind of harsh, but, but it can be written for you. There's an invitation. This can be true for you this morning. It's written to the the sheep of the shepherd. It's written to the ones who belong to the shepherd's flock and look to him to supply all their needs. Now, there's, there's absolutely no better decision that you can make this morning or in your entire life than to call out to this shepherd and say, welcome, please welcome me into your flock. Call me one of your own. Make me one of your sheep. It's the best decision you can make in your entire life. So this morning, I don't want any of us to miss that. If he's not your shepherd, you can make him your shepherd, and you can do that this morning. There's people sitting next to you who would love to have that conversation with you. I know all the pastors would love to have that conversation with you. 
And so don't leave this morning without making the Lord that this psalm is about, making him your shepherd this morning. It's out of this relationship with the Lord as his personal shepherd that leads David to recognize that he shall not want. Now, we need to be careful here because there's a couple dangers. The danger is to take as a promise something that's not being said here. And the first danger um, is that we think that God will promise everything that we want. That's what it says, right? I shall not want. Now, there's things in my life that I want, that I've wanted, and that I'm sure you want or have wanted in the past, but here in this passage, this isn't a promise that you're going to get everything that you want. Because, in fact, you know, it's, it's funny because the things that we thought we needed in the past but never got by some crazy happenstance, we're still here today. So in reality, we didn't need those things to begin with, right? And in fact, some of us are even better off because we didn't get what we thought we needed, And it's God's grace that he didn't give us what we perceive to need. The other uh, danger here is that we think that God is going to give you everything that you think you need. And that's what I'm just talking about here. God doesn't promise to give us everything that we want. He doesn't promise, and to make it relevant to myself, he doesn't promise to give me everything on my Amazon wish list. That would be phenomenal. I would probably have to add a few things on there real quick before he went and sent them to me all. um, And also, too, like, He doesn't promise to give you everything that you think you need. You see, the God of the universe who designed, created, and sustains his creation knows a little bit better than we do what we actually need. And he's worthy of our trust. Is he not? Here in this passage, we read read David's declaration that he shall not want. And so I've already hinted at it, but I think some other translations get at the meaning a little bit better. The CSB version reads, the Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. The living Bible possibly gets it the best when it says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything that I need. The idea here is that when we have the shepherd, we have everything that we need. We don't need anything else because our greatest need has already been met. For the rest of our time, I want us to walk through this passage in three parts, each part being a need that the Lord graciously meets for his people. So first, the need for the shepherd's provision. Second, the need for the shepherd's protection. And third, the need for the shepherd's presence. So provision, protection, presence. Everybody with me? I'm not seeing very many heads. Everybody with me? All right, good. Let's go ahead and dive in then here. So uh, the first thing we see the shepherd meet for his sheep is that he provides for them. We see this in verses one through three. Uh, in this first line, D- David identifies the Lord as his shepherd, and he confesses that in him all his needs are met. And then in the following verses, David paints for us a beautifully vivid picture of what the shepherd's provision looks like. He writes, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Now, this imagery should get your brain working. It should get your imagination going. And so images should be kind of popping up left and right in your head. And this image of green meadows probably conjures up in your mind this idea of like this calm, serene, vividly, vividly colorful and, and, you know, field full of green grass that's, you know, waving in the wind, blowing in the wind. And it's like, oh, man, I could take a nap right now. It's wonderful. And that's exactly the image that should come to your head when you read green pastures. 
I'm sorry, it's actually not. So sorry about that. It's not a picture of a field full of grass that's in abundance, it's everywhere. And but even though that the actual image of a green pasture, even though a green pasture in the terminology here is very different than what we imagine, it was still a place where the shepherd or where the sheep could feel provided for. It's a place where they could have serenity and peace and calm. You see, the wilderness where the sheep grazed didn't receive much rainfall. Remember, we're talking about a different part of the world here. It couldn't produce enough grass to sustain a flock of sheep for any extended period of time. But it could provide a meal here and there. The flock had to stay on the move, and the shepherd had to lead them from pasture to pasture in search of daily nourishment. Day by day and step by step, the sheep had to trust that their shepherd would provide for them. They didn't know how far they'd have to travel in between green pastures, but they knew that their shepherd was going to be with them, and they knew that he was worthy of their trust. They weren't anxious. They weren't worried because they knew their shepherd would meet their need. It, Matthew, the book of Matthew uh, chapter 6 comes to my mind. Jesus teaching, he says in Matthew six twenty-five, uh, this is Jesus talking. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he gives this illustration. He says, look at the birds of the air. They, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So here for the sheep, their shepherd time and time again had made sure that they were provided for. Now once again he had led them to a place where they would have plenty of food to eat. They could feast and then lie down and rest because they knew their shepherd was close at hand and he was worthy of their full confidence and trust. The sheep trusted him. And like we said earlier, we can learn something valuable from a sheep. We have even more reason to trust and have confidence in our God. The second picture David paints for us is that there are still or peaceful waters. The same idea is true here. The sheep didn't have to drink and then move on. They could quench their thirst, lie down, rest a while, knowing that there would be water for them when they got back up. And so by providing this plentiful food and drink, as well as a place to rest, the shepherd was providing restoration for the sheep. He restores my soul. He was restoring them to a place where they no longer were hungry, thirsty, or tired. I, I picture it this way. Just like after we eat a meal after being really hungry, you feel refreshed, unless you ate too much, in which case you feel sick. But, and that happens to me way too much. We won't get into that. Um, or the idea of like taking a nap, especially a Sunday afternoon nap, because those are, those are the best, right? There's just something special about Sunday afternoon naps. But the way that you feel after you eat a good meal or take a Sunday afternoon nap, feeling refreshed, revigorated, um, all these things, this is kind of the picture here. You feel restored. The fullness of life is brought back to you. You no longer need. You're no longer hungry, 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 thirsty, or tired. Uh, uh, some kid that I know somewhere, I think it was in Canada, he said, I'm hungry. Uh, and here I am. I'm him now. I work with kids too much. But so we see this, this idea that the Lord restores our soul. He provides and meets for our needs. But we also see one other element in the shepherd's provision in that he leads his sheep in paths of righteousness. The idea here is that the shepherd not only leads his sheep to certain places along the way where their needs could be met, 
but rather he meets their needs at every step along the way. You see, he didn't leave the sheep to find their own path. He didn't say, all right, go ahead, find your own way. Rather, he led them every step of the way. As long as the sheep followed their shepherd, provision for their needs was never far away. Why? Because their shepherd was never far away. It's the same with us as it is with the sheep. You see, God's guidance in our life is not limited to points A and Z, meaning the the day we become a Christian and the day that we die and go to be with him forever. God's guidance is not limited to those two life events. God's guidance and direction and his will for us pervades all of life. There's not, you know, I don't want to say this in a way to scare people, but there's no small decision that you can make in life. Every decision that you make has big consequences, some more than others. But God would have you know that he is your shepherd leading you along every step from A to Z, not just A to Z. And so throughout history, there's been a lot of talk in terms of this idea of divine guidance. And it's partly why I, when Pastor Ryan asked me to preach, I said, okay, well, what should I preach on? He said, we're in the book of Psalms, the second week. You can preach on whatever psalm you want, just not the first one. And so I was like, wow, okay, 149 options. That's, that's a lot of decisions to make. But I landed on Psalm 23 because it has personal significance to me. You see, in the, in the last few months of us even being here, it was Psalm 23 that helped me to kind of discern what the will of the Lord was in, in our life. I picked up a book by an author I really like. Uh, his name is J.I. Packer. Um, it was called Guard Us, Guide Us, and it was a phenomenal book. I picked it up because I had no idea where God was leading. Door after door seemed to be shutting in our face opportunity that was like, oh, you get really excited about, and door shuts. And you begin to question, you begin to wonder, God, do you really have a plan for this? What do you want me to do? I want to be used by you. How do you want to use me? Make that clear. And that book, reading it cover to cover, it didn't help me say, this is the answer, this is the path I have to take, but it gave me a good framework by which I could follow in discerning what the will of the Lord is. And I'm going to give you real quick and just two really quick bullet points because I don't think there's a person in this room who, given the, the option of knowing exactly what the Lord's will wouldn't, was, wouldn't just say, yeah, 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 tell me that. And so I'm going to give you two really basic things. God gives us discernment and figuring out what his will is in two ways. One, by giving us his spirit. So as Christians, he gives us his Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to prompt us, to lead us, to, you know, we've all been in those circumstances that we just kind of get there's something not right here. And that could just be indigestion, or it could actually be the Spirit of God saying, this is not where I would have you go. The God's Spirit. But also notice that God's Spirit inspired the Scriptures to be written, inspired human authors to write God's revealed truth to us. And so part of God's Spirit is listening to what the Spirit has said in God's Word, reading it daily, memorizing it, um, letting it you know, mold and shape the way that we think, all these things. It also means, so first God gives us his spirit, but then he also gives us too his spirit-filled people to walk the path with us. So we're not the only ones that have God's Holy Spirit in us. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And that spirit living inside of them in the community of faith known as the church can help us discern where God is leading. That's where God used the pastors at this church. 
I, would have, I was never, never looking at opportunities to be a children's pastor. Never. Until I came here, and then Pastor Ryan and Micah and Joe Sign are saying, you should look into children's pastor jobs. I'm like, no, nah, that's not my thing. And nine months later, I've been doing it. And so I blame them uh, for that. But it illustrates the point that it's God's spirit through his word guiding us, leading us, but it's also God through his spirit-filled people leading us and guiding us, helping us to discern whether God's will is. They're laughing because they, they remember this moment exactly. And so there's these, these dangers, this idea of divine guidance, God's spirit, God's spirit-filled people. But just when we stop and, and start to think that, man, sheep, they're a pretty big deal, man. The shepherd provides for them. He, he gives them a good place to rest. He, he uh, guides them and he leads them. He's with them at every step along the way. Just when we start thinking that there's something special about sheep, David goes and he, and, and he, and he really humbles us. And he keeps us from thinking that sheep somehow deserve their shepherd's care. He writes, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The Lord, as the shepherd of his people, provides for our needs, not because we deserve it, but because he has promised to do so. The Lord made a covenant with his people by which he established a relationship with them. What we see here is just a brief snippet of how ferocious God is in sustaining the relationship that he established. So if you're a Christian this morning, this means that you don't have to worry about the possibility of God one day withdrawing his care or concern for you. His care for you isn't dependent upon your worthiness of it. His care and concern for you is sourced in his promise to provide for you and to shepherd you and to love you. It's not dependent upon your worthiness. It was God who brought you into his fold, into his flock, and it's God who will sustain and persevere and ferociously pursue you with his grace and mercy for your entire life. God loves to provide for us because in so doing, we come to know and trust over and over and over again how trustworthy, how loving, how caring our God is. In verse 4, we see the second need the shepherd meets for his sheep, the need for his protection. He writes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We've already seen how the green pastures were a place that the sheep would eventually have to move on from. It would only have so much grass to feed the flock, and then they would have to move on. The shepherd would lead them in a right path. And here we read that one of those paths includes walking through a really treacherous, treacherous, dangerous place, what David here calls the valley of the shadow of death. Now, if this sounds like a pretty scary place to you, it should. You see, it's a dangerous place where predators would lie in wait to capture and to devour their prey, which, by the way, includes sheep, which is who we're talking about here. So this is a dangerous place, but the Lord is leading the sheep and the flock through it. Sometimes the journey meant walking through the valley of the shadow of death. You see, the sheep ate in green pastures, 
but they were eaten in dark valleys like this. You, you get the point. But the life of every sheep was at risk, but the shepherd was there to protect each of them. They had nothing to fear because they had a shepherd to trust. Notice the reason why David says he will fear no evil in verse 4. For you are with me. This is one of the greatest words of comfort and assurance that we have in this world, that no matter the dangers, hardships, trials, or challenges, no matter how big they are or how big they seem to us, our God is with us and he's bigger than all of it. This promise that God would be with his people was a promise God made numerous times throughout Scripture. He made it to Jacob, to Jeremiah, to all the people in the kingdom of Judah, to Isaiah, and to all his people after they returned from exile. This promise was the essence of the incarnation, the coming of Emmanuel, which in English means God with us. It was also the motivation that you know, Jesus gave when he commissioned his disciples in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 20. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. And then he ends it by saying, good luck. No, he doesn't say that. He ends it by saying, and behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. God promises his presence. He is, he is, he is near and he is present with us. He has not abandoned us, even in the valley of the shadow of death. God is with us and he will never abandon us. Now, here, here's something I thought was really interesting. I want you to look again at verse four. I, I missed this until I was studying for this. I've never seen it before. Maybe you have, in which case, you'll be like, oh man, I knew something more than the preacher did. But if you missed it too, then I want us to all catch it. And you can catch this just by reading it, by just a surface level reading of it, you can see this. But notice here in verse four that up to this point, David had been talking about God in the third person, meaning he says, he makes me lie down, he leads me, he restores my soul. But here in verse four, he shifts from the third person to the second person. He says, you are with me, your rod and your staff, you prepare a table, you anoint my head. David had plenty of reasons to trust the Lord. The image of God as a shepherd helped remind him of many of those reasons. But here, David's words of trust in God are transformed from a statement about God into a prayer to God. At some point in our lives, we each have to stop simply talking about God and start talking to God directly. The Christian life isn't just about living a life that looks like Jesus. It's about living a life in relationship with this Jesus. I'm convicted, you know, even as I preach, because, I mean, anybody who's a pastor you know, makes a living by telling other people about God. And I'm convicted because I love doing that, whether it's adults, a mixed group, or whether it's kids. I love telling people about God, or even coworkers, you know. I love telling people about God, but I'm convicted because I think, do I talk more about God or do I talk more to God? And it, you need to have both, you know, because if you talk to God enough, you're going to want to tell other people about him. But if all you ever do is tell other people about them and you don't have any personal relationship with them, one, you're not really helping anybody and you're, you're professing uh, that something is worthy believing, of believing in and trusting in when you failed to do the same thing. And so you have to be careful that you talk about God but that you also talk to God. And so prayer is so important in this. Spending time in God's word is so important to this. 
And so don't miss that this morning. Don't let your relationship with God just be third person. Take your relationship with him to the next level and make it a second person. Take it from a he to a you. Start talking to him directly. Knowing that his shepherd was with him led David to conclude that he, and by extension every other sheep, including us, was protected by God in a twofold way. This twofold protection is illustrated by the shepherd's two instruments, and I'm just going to hit on these really quick. First, God's sheep are protected from their enemies. The, the rod was like a club-like instrument. It was an instrument of defense. It would be used to ward off predators um, when they threaten the flock. The second is that God's sheep are protected from themselves. And what I mean by this is from time to time, a sheep, like us, get on the wrong path. We get distracted. We get enticed to go off the, the straight and narrow and to indulge in sin or to go along a path that we know we shouldn't. And this is where the staff comes in. The, the rod, again, an instrument of defense to ward off predators. The rod, an instrument of correction, of discipline, of guidance. So when a sheep would be wayward and wander away from the fold, the shepherd would take the staff and gently prod them again to the right path. God does the same thing for us, right? He protects us from enemies. That doesn't always mean that we're going to keep our life. Missionaries die overseas every day. But we also see, too, that God corrects us. He, he guides us. He guides us by his spirit, by his spirit-filled people. Knowing these two instruments were in the hands of their shepherd gave the sheep a strong sense of comfort, and it should do the same thing for us. You see, the valley of the shadow of death wasn't a detour. It wasn't, a, 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 you know, getting lost. It wasn't the choice of an inexperienced shepherd. Rather, the valley of the shadow of death was the precise path that God was leading his people on. Our shepherd, our God, and it's important here to, to understand that, whether we're in the green pastures or the valley, God is with us. He is our shepherd. And that as our shepherd, God is with us as much in the valley as he is with us in the green pastures. Just because you're going through a time of hardship or difficulty doesn't always mean that you're on the wrong path. Sometimes it does, and we have to be mindful of that. But it doesn't always mean that. Sometimes the valleys are precisely where God is leading us in the moment. The decision we have to make is whether we're going to trust him as much in the valley as we do in the pasture. The last need we see the shepherd meet for his sheep is in verses 5 through 6, the need of the sheep for their shepherd's presence. We already saw this in verse 4, but it's further illustrated in verses 5 and 6. Here, David shifts from the metaphor of a, sheep, or of, of a shepherd with his sheep to the metaphor of a host with his guests. He writes, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, this is hospitality at its finest, right? We have a hospitality team here, but this is hospitality at its finest. A, a king is preparing a feast for his guests. Not only is he preparing a feast, but he's anointing their head. He's, he's um, 
administering a lotion to their dry, cracked skin as they enter into his home, right? So these were signs of hospitality. They welcome him to the table. They welcome, he welcomes his guests to the table. A king doesn't do that. But in this case, we find a king who does. But this isn't just a normal meal because the enemies are present at this meal. But the enemies are present not as guests, but as prisoners who were looking on as the people who conquered them and defeated them are celebrating a well-won victory. The banquet was a celebration of God's gracious provision and protection for his people. This is why you know, God was just pouring out blessing upon blessing. And that's why David said, my cup overflows. There's not enough room in me to contain all these blessings God is lavishing upon me. But David's life had been filled with blessings from God, yes. In fact, the goodness and mercy of the Lord had followed him throughout his life. But David had a hard life, and he made some pretty big mistakes. But the hardship of his life was softened by the tender grace of God at every step of the way. And if we stop and we think about our own lives, hopefully each one of us can say the same thing too. We've all gone through hardships. Some of you may be going through them right now. All of us certainly will be facing some more hardships in the future. But the hardship of our life is softened by God's grace. And so we just have to be sensitive to it and recognize that he's, he's there for us. He's providing his uh, tender and gracious care. You see, the enemies weren't having a feast, but God's people were. They were the ones celebrating Having seen how the Lord poured out blessing upon blessing upon David in the past and knowing that the Lord was with him in the present, led David to conclude, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The the verb here, follow, is just not a really good. I hesitate to do this, but like I wouldn't say cross out follow, but I would write a different word in the margins or possibly above it, and that word would be pursue. The idea here is not that God's goodness and mercy would just be behind David or lag behind like it could never quite catch up to him following in that sense. No, rather, the picture here is of pursuit. Elsewhere in Scripture, it's used in a hostile sense. It's used of a predator chasing after, pursuing his prey. It's also used of an enemy pursuing their conquered foe when they're retreating. Here, David takes this kind of hostile term, he flips it around and he makes it an incredible message of encouragement and hope. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. David, by the way, had his fair share of enemies during his life, enemies who pursued him, and now he takes that and he flips it around and it's, it's a picture of encouragement to him. John Piper, I'll say this too, John Piper gave, he titled one of his sermons on Psalm 23. Uh, He titled it, The Shepherd, the Host, and the Highway Patrol. I love that because it illustrates that God is going to pursue after us, sometimes at breakneck speeds. He's gonna be hot on our heels and he's gonna get us. It's a beautiful picture. One of the greatest evidences of God's goodness and mercy being lavished upon us is the fact that we get to live and dwell in the presence of our Lord. And that's precisely where David concludes this psalm. It isn't enough to be provided for and protected by the shepherd. We need his continued presence. The focus here is not on the house, but on the one the house belongs to. When we dwell in God's house, we're not just, hey, it's a pretty cool crib, but rather, man, the guy who owns this, a pretty big deal. 
I get to be here with him. The picture is, the focus here is not on the house, but on the Lord who owns it. In conclusion, this, this wonderful psalm, we've seen in it the shepherd's gracious provision, protection, and his presence. We've seen all these. He provides for us. He protects us. He is present with us. But when we shine the light of the New Testament on it, we come to see this cherished psalm in even greater and vivid color. In fact, we come to see the fullness of the Lord's provision, protection, and presence. I want to end and kind of wrap up our time with this. And that if I stopped here, it's, you know, I've made some allusions to Christ and how Christ completes this. But Psalm 23, as Christians, we get to see it in its fullness because we have the New Testament. We have the New Testament enlightening and giving us a fuller picture of what's in mind here in Psalm 23. If you just stop there and say, the Lord is my shepherd, that's, that's good. But as Christians, we can take it one step further. You see, in the New Testament, we see the fullness of the Lord's provision when he sent his son into the world to save us from our sins. We didn't deserve to be saved, but he saved us anyways. We had a need that we couldn't meet on our own, and he graciously met it for us. I taught the kids at our church there. We just memorized 1 Timothy 1.15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's a trustworthy saying that's worthy of banking on, that's worthy of putting your trust in, of living your life in light of. It's true. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. We didn't deserve this salvation, but he gave it anyways. We didn't deserve it, but he saved us for the sake of his name and for the sake of the promise that he made. We also see the fullness of the Lord's protection when he gave us both his spirit and his spirit-filled people to help uh, teach us truth and provide a course correction when we stray from it. He gives us his word to make clear his path for us and his people to walk the path with us. He gives his church pastors, pastors, another word for shepherds, to help guide us and care for us and prepare us for the return of Jesus, who Peter calls the chief shepherd. We see the fullness of the Lord's presence when we read in John's gospel that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We see Jesus like a gracious host prepare a celebration meal for his people. As Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup and after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion, another name for the Lord's Supper, is a celebration feast. It is a proclamation of Christ's victory over our greatest enemy. He welcomes us to it. He seats us at his table. He bids us come and partake. We see the fullness of Psalm 23 and the person and the work of Jesus Christ, the one Peter calls the shepherd and overseer of our souls. He said of himself, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus laid down his life for us. He is the perfect shepherd. In him, we have the fullness of everything that God provides, his protection, his presence. 
In him we find the fullness of Psalm 23. So don't miss him this morning. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you are our Savior, you are our Redeemer, you are our friend. Scripture says you're even our brother. But God, we are thankful that it doesn't just stop there, but that we're also told that you are our shepherd, that you care for us, that you're concerned with us, that when we stray, you bring us back, that when we need, you meet that need, and when we feel alone, you make your presence felt. I pray this morning that everybody in this room, that first line in this psalm would be true of them, that they would come to know you as their Lord, that they would be able to say, the Lord, my shepherd. And that from that, they would see that all their needs are met. God, I pray that if you're stirring in somebody's heart, they're eager to cry out to you to be their shepherd and to have you welcome them into your flock, that you wouldn't let them just walk out of here this morning, Lord, but that they would talk to one of the three pastors here at Cross Point. They would talk to the person sitting next to them and that they would come to know you this morning. God, we thank you so much. You are so, so generous towards us. You exceed our needs and you do it all the time. We thank you for this time. We ask this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.